Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. As a kid, I knew exactly the toys I wanted during any holiday or birthday. I was a consummate list maker and shared in every possible format the things that I would want as gifts. I would say unfortunately for me, my family liked suggestions, but I would say that they weren't very detail-oriented. Very often, I would get really enamored of a toy based on seeing it in a catalog or if it had tie-ins with comics or TV shows. I was very taken with the Inhumanoids, like so many other kids at the time, and put it on any list I could find that I wanted Inhumanoid toys. My family was wonderful in that they would get me Inhumanoid toys. But here's the thing, I don't really understand how they made their selection process because they always seemed to get the thing that nobody else would get. I don't know if they went late in the day and there was just nothing else on the shelf, or perhaps their sensibilities went in directions that still escape me to this day. But this is often the reason I often had toys that were of side characters or perhaps not the most popular characters. And this happened time and again. That's why I had a lot of Lobots or Bespin security guards from Star Wars. It's also why I had two Herc Armstrong figures from Inhumanoids. And Decompose never even entered my house. This is one of these great questions from my childhood that I didn't realize at the time. But as I've grown up, looking back... It just makes me scratch my head. And sadly, I never got to ask my mom or my grandmother what was going on here. It kind of makes me laugh nowadays. I remember the Inhumanoids specifically because I was quite taken with the larger figures in the series. The main villains, Metlar, Decompose, and Tendril. Amazing horror-themed figures that I really wanted at the time. I could also see that potentially my family saw them and thought, Ugh, what are these toys? Let me just get him this nice guy in a helmet. It says in humanoids on it, he'll like that. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about that toy line that I never quite got what I wanted with, the Inhumanoids. We'll talk about the people who created the show and the toy line. We'll talk about the toys themselves, the animated series, the movie, the comic books, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Inhumanoids was an animated series and toy line, both released in 1986. They were birthed from Hasbro, maker of, at the time, 
some other amazing toys, specifically G.I. Joe and the Transformers. They released an animated series to accompany the show in hopes of stimulating the toy line, and a great mythology grew out of this show that would make it into some of the toys and would give promise that other toys that would eventually come would be even more amazing than the original. The show was created by Frank DeLay. Frank is a screenwriter, novelist, and game designer, probably best known for his work on G.I. Joe and the Transformers. He also was the writer of An American Tale, Five Will Goes West. He got his start working for Ruby Spears, writing scripts for things like Mr. T and Roboforce. He would later go to work for Sunbow Productions, which was sort of the unofficial production house for Hasbro's work. There, he would become a writer, story editor, and producer on various shows that included G.I. Joe, The Transformers, Visionaries, another great toy line, and Inhumanoids. Fun Dungeons & Dragons connection when Gary Gygax, who is the co-creator of Dungeons & Dragons, went to Hollywood. He and DeLay began collaborating on projects. He would later go on to run TSR West, TSR, the maker of Dungeons & Dragons at the time. One of the more interesting projects he worked on there was the Buck Rogers role-playing game that began at TSR West. Unfortunately, they didn't have time to finish it, so it was actually moved back to TSR East. Still, it's amazing what Dillay was able to do and the sort of wide range of places that he worked that influence a lot of popular culture nowadays from these toys and cartoons from Hasbro and, of course, into Dungeons & Dragons and things he did after that. The company that produced Inhumanoids was Hasbro. Hasbro is a very old company, starting as the Hassenfeld Brothers back in 1923. They create lots of quality products, including Transformers, G.I. Joe, Power Rangers, and board games like Twister and Monopoly, famously headquartered in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. The Inhumanoids would get their start as an animated series, as a movie at first, and then they would bring in a couple of extra episodes after dividing the original movie up into episodes, But it started as a 10-minute short on a block of programming known as Super Sunday, which was an 80s animated television series that was produced by Sunbow and Marvel. It ran for a half hour and had four six-minute kind of serial-style segments of various Sunbow productions. Those would include Bigfoot and the Muscle Machines, Gem, Inhumanoids, and Robotics. It's called Super Sunday because it aired on Sunday mornings starting in October of 1985 and ending the very next year in October. In some markets, the show was aired actually on Saturdays, and appropriately enough, they retitled it Super Saturday. When Super Sunday started, it actually started with a Super Week, which was a five-day test of this style of episodic, smaller episode animation. All in all, it wasn't a huge hit. It only lasted a year, but it was a very interesting idea, and the short segments really do work well with the attention span of children. Super Sunday, the adventure series that gives you three times the excitement. What's the picture in your head? And Bigfoot. Bigfoot and the Muscle Machine. Big and Jam, truly outrageous. Super Sunday. Bigfoot and Jam. Now we'll talk a little bit about the toys, comic books later, but I'd like to start with the movie itself, and we'll go into the animated series after that. Inhumanoids is the story of humans who work for the Earth Corps, who 
get involved after a group of these inhumanoids are unlocked. And they're an ancient species that could destroy the world. The main characters of the inhumanoids are Metlar, who is this lava creature, Decompose, sort of Lord of the Undead, and Tendril, this plantish, tentacled creature. When the Earth Core decides to take on these three, they have learned that there's been actually a war of elemental creatures trying to prevent these inhumanoids from taking over or destroying the world. And on the side of good, you had the redwoods, which were these tree creatures, and you had these rock-bodied granites, which were these rock creatures. And together they are known as the mutors. Now while decompose and tendril are really tough, really you got to worry about Metlar. Metlar is the one who can spew lava. He's the leader by strength. There is a way to keep Metlar at bay, but to do that, they have this dual being named Magnacor who can neutralize Metlar using magnetism. They kind of get on either side of him and hold him in place. And once they do, Metlar is incapacitated. This original movie, which would be broken down into multiple episodes of the animated series, ends with a big battle and decomposed being sealed in amber, Tendril locked up, and then Magnacor finally able to hold Metlar in place. We do learn that there are also humans who are villains, and we'll get more into those characters later. But let's talk a little bit about the Earth Core at first. You had Dr. Armstrong, or Herc Armstrong, codenamed Hooker. He's the leader of the Earth Core. He's got a cool grappling hook arm, which did make him a very cool action figure. He would be voiced by Neil Ross in the animated series. Digger was Dr. Derek Erickson Bright. He's an engineer, designs all the vehicles for Earth Core. Very logical. He was voiced by Richard Sanders. Dr. Edward Augeter. This is a little bit on the nose, but he's codenamed Auger. He's an archaeologist, mechanic. He's the one who's kind of got a bad temper, a bit of a wild card. One of my favorite summaries about him refers to his amateur boxing career, and they throw this tag at the end of an episode. It says, he traded in his golden gloves for a power drill. Auger was voiced by Michael Bell. Liquidator was Dr. Jonathan Slattery. Liquidator is one of my favorite Earth Corps members. He's the chemist, and his suit features a cannon that sprays liquid, and he would always have the right liquid for whatever circumstance was necessary. He was voiced by William Calloway. Sandra Shore is the only female member of Earth Corps. She's very wealthy and is the one who bankrolls the operations of the team as long as she's allowed to join. And she's also the sister of the main human villain of the show, Blackthorn. Shore was voiced by Susan Silo. There's all this great Cold War stuff in Inhumanoids. And they do bring a Russian into the Earth Corps. Colonel Anatoly Kiev, codenamed Tankmaster, or Tank for short. He's a chess master, former Soviet army officer. When the Soviets decide they're going to kind of destroy the world, he rebels against them and in doing so ingratiates himself to the Earth Corps and they take the tank that he was riding and turn it into a suit for him. Hence the name Tank, which is a pretty cool name. He was voiced by Neil Ross. Finally, you have Brad J. Armbruster or Saberjet. The suit that he wears is unremovable meaning they built this exosuit around him to keep his body intact. If Brad J. Armbruster sounds familiar to people, that might be because you recognize him from G.I. Joe, the toy line. He is the pilot ace 
and we'll talk a little bit about the connections between Inhumanoids and G.I. Joe a little bit later. We'll return after these messages. Below the Earth's surface, the Inhumanoid Metlar is followed by Magnacor. Which way, Magnacor? Only one way to find out. Inhumanoids, Inhumanoids. opposite halves can position themselves to paralyze the evil Metlar. This will stop him! We did it! Join forces! Nice job, Magnacor! Magnacor comes together. Other figures sold separately from Hasbro. And now, back to the show. The Inhumanoids consisted of a few creatures, starting with Metlar, the mightiest and evilest of the Inhumanoids. He lives in the fiery domain of Infernac near the core of the Earth, and he's able to animate statues, and he spits balls of flaming lava. His big weakness, though, is magnetism, and it is hinted that water, things that would cool him off, would also be something that would slow him down. Metlar was voiced by Ed Gilbert. Next up is Tendril. Tendril is this mass of vine-like limbs. What's cool about Tendril is that if you cut off a large enough part of him, an actual new Tendril monster will grow. Tendril is certainly not the brightest of the Inhumanoids, but visually he's quite stunning. And according to the creator of Inhumanoids, the Inhumanoids were influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, and a tentacled horror-like Tendril fits really well into the Lovecraft mythos. Next up is my favorite of all the Inhumanoids, Decompose. He's this sort of large, undead T-Rex creature, some sort of large monster. He can corrupt humans, turning them into undead. His big weakness, though, is the sun. Not only does the sun hurt him, it will also ruin his creations. He also has an open chest cavity with a rib cage that can be used as a jail, where he can just shove people into his own chest cavity. Decompose is strange, and some of the best stuff in the show takes place in his kingdom of Skellweb, where he has an undead army. He's got this infatuation with Sandra Shore, and some really amazing, very unkid-like animation happens around their relationship in terms of dancing and undead animation. It's just a remarkable character to create, and the effects around it are even better than the character. The voice of Decomposed was provided by Chris Lotta. If you are a fan of G.I. Joe and the Transformers, you will recognize his very peculiar voice as the voice of Starscream from the Transformers and Cobra Commander on G.I. Joe. He would also do the voice when it was necessary of Tendril. Two other Inhumanoids that would show up are Slither, who was a creature that would be freed by the villain of the series Blackthorn Shore, much like everything Blackthorn does though. It doesn't really work out. By the name, you might guess, Slither controls serpents and serpent-like creatures. Another creature that would be freed through the workings of Blackthorn is the Gagoyle. There, a combination of volcanic activity and radiation incubates a cluster of Gagoyle eggs. A very interesting creature, kind of scary. It would be defeated by Metlar, but it did have this really great scene where it bit off Decompose's arm which is not something you see in your normal animated fair in the 80s. We'll return 
after these messages. From the depths of Earth comes the barbaric and humanoid tendril, devastating everything in his path. After that overgrown octopus! Inhumanoids! Inhumanoids! The evil that lies with Tendril and other figures sold separately from Hasbro. And now, back to the show. Returning to the series, you had the Mutors. And there were three specific Mutors. You had the Redwoods. The leader of the Redwoods was Redlin and Redson. Those were both voiced by Stanley Ralph Ross. The Granites were these rock creatures... They were led by Granok and General Granitary, voiced by John Stevenson. Finally, you had Magnacor. Magnacor is probably the most useful of the Mutors. He has a dual body, splits into two polarized halves, Crygen, an icy blue creature, and Pyre, who was the fiery other side of this. They get on either side of Metlar and can hold him as if it was a cage. They were both voiced by Dick Gautier. I'm going to wrap up this because there's so many characters. Blackthorn Shore is the villain of the humans. Then you had Nightcrawler, who was an evil scientist, whose decayed remains get reanimated by Decompose. And when Decompose makes him, even Decompose is thinking, I think he even says, what have I done? What have I wrought? Shows you some really interesting thing about Decompose's power and that he doesn't even seem to understand what he's capable of doing in terms of creating undead. And that Nightcrawler even maybe offended him. You had Senator Masterson, who was a corrupt politician. And then finally, I wanted to bring up a character who's important to this wider universe. And his name is Hector Ramirez. Hector Ramirez is a reporter who acts as exposition and a plot driver. And he's a parody of the real-life Geraldo Rivera at the time. Ramirez appears in G.I. Joe, Gem and the Holograms, and the Transformers. And according to Buzz Dixon... Buzz is a film, cartoon, and comic book writer. One of the people who worked on that Buck Rogers RPG I talked about earlier as well. He would write on lots of these great animated series at the time and created Hector. And he has said that Hector's presence on these shows means they are all in the same universe. Inhumanoids! Inhumanoids! The evil that lies within From down in the fiery The music on the show was done by Robert J. Walsh. Walsh wrote the music for nearly 50 TV specials and series. He would also do the music for over 20 feature films. Now, while a lot of people love this show, there's even more people who love this toy line. So if you're thinking about getting into collecting this toy line, word of caution, it's going to run you some money, especially for the larger figures, the 14-inch Metlar, Tendril, and Decompose. That said, they are amazing and are probably worth whatever you're going to pay for them. The design of the figures was done by David McDonald, who is now the VP of Product Development at Spin Master Limited. There were four human figures that were made. Herc Armstrong, Dr. Derek Bright, Augur, and Liquidator. The suits that were on them were stuck there. They didn't come off. The only part that was removable was the helmet. Unfortunately, the face work on these humans is mediocre. They look really cool with the helmets on, so just leave them on. Each of the scientists had a special feature. Augur had a drill. Herc had the grappling hook. Dr. Bright had movable claws. 
and Liquidator had a backpack that you could shoot water. Then you had the Mutors. There were three tree-like creatures for the Redwoods. And for the Granites, you had two rock creatures. Finally, there was a Magnacore. The Magnacore is a very unusual action figure. And you can separate them into two bits, but it's two very solid bits, so there's no movable parts. And they're kind of half a figure once you do that. It's a very strange thing and not the most useful of toys, especially if you don't have Metlar to capture. Before I get to the Inhumanoids themselves, they had two Earthcore vehicles that were released, the Terra Scout and the Trapper. The Terra Scout had a gun, which was neat, and the Trapper had a movable claw, hence to trap, and a retractable grappling hook. Always one of the coolest things you could put on a toy in the 80s. The three Inhumanoids that were put out were Metlar, Tendril, and Decompose. They all had glow-in-the-light fangs. They would actually change Metlar's fangs. They were supposedly too dangerous, so they had to make them smaller. Tendril would have bendable tentacles on his arms, but the coolest of all the figures was Decompose and that rib cage where you could put captive figures. Metlar, his special power was leading, and he's just this big, cool-looking toy. Those three toys are the ones that are going to be the hardest to find. You can find the humans. You can even find the vehicles loose, maybe not in perfect condition, for reasonable prices. But if you're looking for a decompose that's in good condition, it's going to be a challenge for you to find one at a reasonable price. But if you're a big fan of the show, and I think if you watch it, you will be, you're going to be tempted. We'll return after these messages. Who puts the future in your hands? Who gives you robots to command? Who lets you build fighting creatures wilder than a movie feature? Robotics, you create them, you control them. Who puts the future in your hands? Who gives you robots to command? Our 2000 comes with what you see here. Batteries not included. Our 1000 sold separately from Milton Bradley. And now, back to the show. They did do other tie-ins. They had a comic book series that ran in 1987 from Marvel, which was the original movie, The Evil That Lies Within storyline. It would end on a cliffhanger after four issues with two really great parts, Metlar's Escape, and more importantly, and this is why you need to watch this show, Sandra Shore's transformation into an undead creature. They would also release a coloring book that's available online. You can find it usually with a couple of pages colored for a decent price. They also have a Humanoids Tracing Color book, a Sticker Fun book, and a Paint with Water book as well. Sticker fans are, of course, some of the most rabid collectors of things, so that one's a bit more challenging to get your hands on. While there's never been a huge demand for Inhumanoids, after all, it didn't even make it past one season, it has some pretty hardcore fans, and everyone was pretty excited back in 2009 when it was rumored that Kevin Smith, who did Clerks and Mallrats, was rumored to be working on an Inhumanoids comic series. A year later, Smith announced that he was not at all working on an Inhumanoids comic, but he is a big fan and is surprised that nothing has been done with the series since its original run. A second series of Inhumanoid figures was in the works when the show and the toy line was canceled. Who knows exactly what would have been included in there, 
What was confirmed by an ex-Hasbro employee was that Slither did make it to the prototype phase and that that prototype figure somehow is out there and was sold, although I wasn't able to find any instance of it anywhere online. So who knows if other prototype figures were created and where they might be right now. I certainly would have loved to have seen the gag oil. That would have been a pretty great one. Inhumanoids is a strange show and a strange toy line by very creative people, and it has a unique flavor to it that comes from being so short-lived. They had canceled the toy line early, and they were still running the animated series, so there was a lot of liberty that could be taken by the creative people behind it. And when you give creative people control, they come up with a very interesting universe. One can only speculate what could have happened if the Inhumanoids were given a run, say, as long as something like Gem and the Holograms or Transformers. We would have more Inhumanoids. We would have a larger Earth core that could match, say, G.I. Joe in its size and capability. Inhumanoids manages to merge horror, science fiction, and action in a toy line and animated series like nobody else. It would be a perfect show to reboot in some form, but I'm speaking as an Inhumanoid fan here, someone who just rewatched it and just sees all the potential in it. If you haven't seen it in a couple of years, why not pick the show up? There's lots of it online that you can just watch it. If you've never seen it before and you're coming out as an adult, you're in for a real treat. There are things in here that are just going to blow your mind and you're going to wonder, how did this ever get made? Generally, whenever anybody says, how did this get made? It usually means that it's very interesting. And this is interesting good, not interesting bad. This is a great show. It's worthy of your time. And I hope you check it out. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and facebook.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great week. a character whose catchphrase is their own name. It's a power move, let me tell you. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.